hit record and see what happens. Mm. All right. <clears throat> you want to start us off with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Father God, thank you so much for giving us this privilege, this opportunity to open your word, to grow in it, that we might uh, not simply have fat heads, but that we might have broken hearts, that we might walk in it, Father. Help us to be Christ-like by your grace, Father, as we even wrestle with this reality of being conformed into the image of Christ. Help us to be reminded that it is your work to do the conforming, but it is our work to do the submitting submitting to your word, which is the divine tool that you use to shape and mold us like Christ. Help us, Lord, now to grow in these things as we speak the truth and speak about the truth and only the truth. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is truth. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. So good to hear that music again coming through your airwaves. And uh, so good to be back with the uh, pastor, the slave of T-Bows and Taters <laughs> Bible Church here in Bowie, Maryland, uh, nicknamed uh, Bellcroft Bible Church. <laughs> His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Oh, man, it's been so long since we've sat at this table. I'm yeah. kind of like, what do we do? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I'm like, what is this about? I took care of all the dust before you came back into no your spiders. office. Yeah. No, no spiders, no cobwebs, but there was quite a bit of, a, of, of dust. It wasn't a couple of layers. It was just one fine layer that I, I kind of got rid of. Yeah. So, Although I will warn you, I was doing the counseling session in this office the other day, and the lizard jumped off that top shelf. Are you of, serious? Yeah, right there where you're. So just of course. So, so if I see something, I'll tell you. Of course, it's the one behind me. Yeah, so exactly. I can't see exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just says how long it's since we've been in here. The lizards are taking over. Good grief! <laughs> <laughs> and now he wants to tell me what. Yeah. Well, I hit record, and that's what he tells me. Sorry. Yeah. All it's, right. it's all good. Yeah. Well, I have some questions for you. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this will get you back. So. But I want to start off by uh, saying uh, thank you all for listening and uh, thank you all for also uh, being uh, gracious to us <laughs> because we have been it's been so long and understanding as well. So we appreciate that. But I do have a few questions that I'm going to uh, ask of uh, Matt um, more a couple for clarification, but also, you know, just to just to hear our pastor speak about a few things. So the first thing is um, I'm going to go back to the sermon from uh, last Sunday, which was the 23rd. Okay. Um, and I have a few questions on that. And the biggest thing is that this sermon, for me, um, I think that without it actually being, because one of the, in this series where we've been in Mark in chapter 14, mm -hmm. one of the biggest impact sermons, the, the sermons with the, the sermon with the biggest impact was the one where you were talking specifically about Judas. Yeah. Like that was one of those extremely convicting sermons. Mm -hmm. And I think, I feel like this one kind of brought it back. Yeah. Like brought all those things back for me, which was, was just phenomenal. I mean, taking the, 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 you know, just going back and forth between what the uh, the 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 apostles or disciples were doing, and then going to and and kind of looking at what the the crowd and the Pharisees and all those folks were doing. Mm -hmm. But a couple of the questions that 
I had on your second point, you had the clarification of this trial. Yep. And right there, you asked the question, and it was, why was he silent? Mm-hmm. And before you actually got into your sub point, um, what I actually wrote was, this had to happen. And the reason why I wrote this had to happen, because I went back to Isaiah 53. Yep. And him being a silent before his shearers. Yep. Um, and was that, because that wasn't what you said. Mm-hmm. You said... Um, uh, he could have killed the whole trial with the truth, and it was to set an example for us. Mm-hmm. But I want to also ask, is that also the, a fulfillment of the prophecy of that, of that, um, of Isaiah 53? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think when Isaiah 53 is talking about him being silent, it's necessarily prophesying that he wouldn't speak, because he actually speaks quite a bit. Gotcha. Indifferent, because remember, he's essentially stands trial six different times Mm -hmm. and he's silent in some times and other times he speaks he speaks with Pilate. he speaks here and he'll speak again um, when he's tried by the full sanhedrin at daybreak Mm -hmm. so he has three times he stands before the jews three times before the romans one of which is herod but on behalf of the romans because Pilate sends him to Herod, and then Herod sends him back to Pilate. Mm-hmm. And so there's moments where he's, he says absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. When he's in Herod's presence, he doesn't open his mouth once, mm-hmm. right? And so, and does similar with Anna. So, so there, you know, if we look at it that way, there's technically he's not silent, mm. right? Um, but um, so I think what's being described there is the overarching demeanor of him was one of silence. He didn't really try to defend himself, mm-hmm. right? He was silent. He he didn't try to stop the trial. He didn't try to come forward with a case. So in that sense, he was silent. Mm-hmm. And and to that point, yeah, he was silent because he had to be because he knows. And I and I actually spoke very directly about this. If he if he opened his mouth to defend his yeah. case, I said it would it would end it. Right, right. It would end it because mm-hmm. he is he is the judge and jury and prosecutor all at once, mm-hmm. right? He is, and he has the he is the definition of truth and the disseminator of truth. And all he had to do was open his mouth, and truth would have come out and and destroyed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, that's not going to happen. For as we saw the week before, what does he say? Let the scriptures be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So he's going to let it play out. And 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 uh, yet at the same time, he he does what he does. As I quoted from First Peter two, he's silent and he doesn't defend himself, even though he speaks. And he's right here in the text. He speaks. He even says, "Why are you doing this? I've been in the temple teaching and preaching yeah. day after day." Mm-hmm. And I love it in the parallel account of John eighteen. He says, "Go and ask the people. Go and ask them." Mm what I said, mm-hmm. you know, which is a, which is a good defense. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you going to charge me with? You haven't charged me with anything. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, but he does this according to first Peter two, because he entrusts himself to his father who judges just justly. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of clarification of the example that he leaves when he is being wrongly accused. He's being wrongly charged. He's being wrongly arrested He's being wrongly mocked. I mean, on every level, yeah. he's this is injustice mm-hmm. at its greatest clarification and definition. Or you could say this is the travesty or miscarriage of justice, whichever mm-hmm. side you want to look at it mm-hmm. on. And yet, what does he do? He remains silent. Why? 
Well, one is because he did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. He's got, I, 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 what am I going to do? I had no reason to defend myself because I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet in his defense, his defense was simply this, I'm going to trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's what First Peter 2 says. When it quotes Isaiah 53 and he was silent, why did he do that? First Peter 2 tells us, because he entrusted himself to his Father who judges justly. He knew judgment's coming, it's just not now. Mm. So I'm going to wait. Or as Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine. Mm. Right? And, he, and rather than take it upon himself, which is what we do mm-hmm. in the midst of those moments, that's really what we're doing, mm-hmm. the self-defense, we're trying to take vengeance, I'm going to trust the Lord and let him carry it out. And so, yeah, yeah, so that's what's helpful about that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, I think that you also uh, made the point as well, because that, that's good there. You made the point as well in previous sermons when we are in trouble, when things are not going well we're all our, our our first response is not to pray but that was jesus's first response is i'm going to go pray absolutely and i'm going to pray and i'm gonna pray so yeah that's also he was prepared our, yeah that's also was, not our response we nope. just want to talk and defend he was, ourselves yeah he was thoroughly prepared the disciples were woefully unprepared mm-hmm. the disciples abandon him and and fail at their mission of serving their master christ never abandons his mm-hmm. father, and he fulfills the mission of his master, i.e. Mm-hmm. the father. Mm-hmm. And in large part because he depended upon the father. He entrusted himself to the father because he had prayed to the father. So there's a m- massive contrast between how Jesus responds in this versus the disciples. Yeah, that's good. Um, I will say, too, one thing that I noticed, and this is really a question, um, in well, let me turn to the right uh, scripture, Mark fourteen, in verse, where are you? Yep, here it is, verse sixty-two, fourteen, sixty-two. Um, well, verse sixty-one. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You know, and I actually I wrote the question down. And I think it was answered because I was I was like, why is it that the word power is capitalized? Yeah. And I think that you said that that power is another reference for God. It's a name. I've never seen that name power Acts. before. Yeah, you can go over. It's a it's it's a shorthand so it's not like his name isn't power but his, his power often refers to if you go to acts 2 uh, i want to say it's 30 i might even have it here in my notes i think it's acts 2 33 look at acts 2 33 see if it's there we were just reading this in uh <laughs> in class yeah being therefore exalted at the right hand of the father of god and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing that's 233 and then look at um look at act seven go to act seven let me see i think act seven yeah this is all. This is using um, these speaking of the right hand of power. But you, 
But he, full, yeah, 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And so that the part of why they capitalize power there is because it's, he's using it as a title for God. Mm-hmm. And the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Who has the power? Right. God right. the Father. Mm-hmm. So it's using it as a title for God. Mm-hmm. That's why it's capitalized in the capital P in the ESV, because it's using it as a title, much like it is it does in Acts two and Acts seven when he talks about the right hand of God. It's talking about the right hand. The right hand usually speaks of God's authority and God's power. Yeah. Which is what I brought out in that point. Yeah. And that's what what the text will often be speaking of whenever it uses the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. When it says he's seating at the right hand of God, God has placed him there in authority and power. Because mm-hmm. the right hand tends to be your strongest hand, right? Yeah. So it's even speaking metaphorically mm-hmm. of that, where now God is the God of all power, and now he has delegated that power to his son who mm-hmm. sits at his right hand. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's good. I, I noticed it, and I was like, wait a minute, why is the P capitalized? And then yeah, you answered a, the question, and I was like, it's oh, a there. figurative. It's a figurative title. It's not a technical title. It's a figurative title for mm-hmm. a name the name of of Yahweh. Yeah. So I don't have a whole lot. I, that was all the questions. But, Most of the questions out in here, I was asking myself. Yeah, and uh, th- th- those are good. Mm-hmm. But back to 61, but he remained silent, made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, and I think I brought this out, that part of what the Lord does in his wisdom, because you see this often with him, is he leads people along where he wants them to go. Mm-hmm. And I believe he was doing that right here. Even with his silence, he was waiting and, and sovereignly orchestrating with Caiaphas to where he made one of the clearest declarations of the deity of Christ mm-hmm. right there. That's why he doesn't speak till after he says it. Mm-hmm. And his silence, again, provokes Caiaphas to say what he says. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I am. Mm-hmm. I was just waiting for you to say it, mm-hmm. right? He does the same thing with Pilate, mm-hmm. right? And so he does that quite often. So again, it's it's quite interesting to see um, how he handles himself mm-hmm. in uh, in those situations, which is so helpful for us. Yeah, and I was also waiting for you. You didn't bring it out, but when he when Jesus says "I am," I was waiting for that to be a name of God. Yeah, and I talked a little bit about that, but in mm-hmm. the in this, the, it's the it's the Greek phrase, the ego and me, and that's the I am of I am, the great I am, all okay. of that. But it, he's technically, I mean, you could say it loosely when he says I am, but that's not how he's using it. Mm-hmm. He's uh, like he does with he, John. He did, he did it other times. Yeah, in John, he used seven times. I am mm-hmm. the bread of life. I am, mm-hmm. you know. And there's these there's these veiled allusions to the great I am. Right. Right. And and so you could have that here, but it's more of a definitive declarative sentence because of what Caiaphas said. Mm-hmm. Right. He's just simply declaring in very simple terms what you just said. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. So he's just giving the simple but clear definitive answer. That's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to leave this portion of it for later because yep. there's a, a another topic that I really wanted to uh, address with you. And this goes back probably, yeah, uh, literally a month ago, uh, almost to the day uh, we uh, were able to join uh, Baltimore Bible Church at their their marriage retreat. 
which was phenomenal. Stuart Scott was a speaker. And with that, one of the things, a huge question that I had when Stuart was, was speaking, uh, he was speaking about Ephesians chapter five and specifically verse 25 all the way through the end of the chapter. And if you don't know what that portion of scripture is, it's the husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, here's my question. My question is, he specifically said, uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to him self in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, the question really comes down to this. His response was, or what he was saying, and also Pastor uh, Lawson was saying that the husband is to love their wife and Christ is to sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water. My, I would say, understanding of this was more or less the fact that, and this is something that I heard coming up in a long time, not necessarily in Belcroft, but the husbands were to wash their wife in, in, in the word, and and that is part of our job. Of course, to love them as Christ loved the church, but washing them in the word. When they, when they said it, I was like, you know what, that makes sense, but it's never been that it was put like, okay, that's Christ's job to do that. So can you kind of explain to us when it comes down to the the washing of the word part? Yeah, I think, I think um, how do I want to say this? I think we have to be careful here because I think there's a splitting of hairs that's not going to be helpful if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the verbiage that's used, washing with water with the word. We don't use that language, and yet we use that language, and we're not clear. Hmm. So I would ask this. So what does washing with the water of the word mean? So I think if that's not clarified, then I think we can go off in some directions that are unhelpful here, and I think we have to be really careful. So I would take it back to some language that we do know that is really clear, and then we can come back to the washing of the water and the word and all of that. Okay. But it's like, let's... Before you do that, I'm going to tell you what my next question is. Okay. The next question is, how does a husband properly love his wife? And, and that'll, that'll help with that, right? So I think the bigger question is not so much washing with water to the word, because again, that's some for lack of a better word, archaic language that what do, what does it even mean? Right. Right? And there's an answer to it. I'm just saying we're not familiar with it, and it's, you know, yeah, because you hear it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. But mm-hmm. you may be thinking one thing, and somebody over here is like, so I get a bathtub, and I put Bible verses in it, and I wash my wife, <laughs> you know? Soup. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, right. exactly. It's mm-hmm. like, what are we talking here, mm-hmm. right? And, and again, there's answers to it, but I just think it... Whenever you run into that in language, you, you, it's helpful to step back and define mm-hmm. terms and pull it all down to more uh, clear foundational level to where, okay, let's build upon that. Mm-hmm. And I think in the text, I think the word that is helpful 
of which the other words are more adjectival describing part of this is the word sanctify, hmm. right? And that's kind of the, the main, uh, for lack of a better word, the main verb in that section starting in verse 26 that he might sanctify her, mm-hmm. right? Everything else is part of what that sanctification process demands. Hmm. So I think at the end of the day, then, now we can be definitive because no husband ever sanctifies his wife. Hmm. Word sanctify, Greek word hagias, means to make holy. Mm-hmm. I can't make my wife holy. Mm-hmm. No pastor ever sanctifies any sheep. He can't mm-hmm. make them holy. No father ever sanctifies his children. He can't make them holy. No older man ever sanctifies a younger man. And down the any kind of category of relationships we have in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. there's only one who sanctifies, right? And mm-hmm. it's the Lord Christ. Right. And so I think in the text, that's what he's saying, mm-hmm. right? He's clearly, it's it, it, Christ sanctifies the church, mm-hmm. right? And just as Christ will sanctify, make holy the wife, mm-hmm. right? And he will do it through the word, mm-hmm. right? Now that we know, that is clear, and that is obvious. So that's, at the end of the day, that's what's being said, and he'll do that so that he might present her holy and blameless, i.e. the church, and by extension, even in the marriage, the wife, right? However, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can allow this language, and we can compartmentalize, and we can start splitting hairs, and we can remove what the Bible makes really clear, mm-hmm. what the husband's role is. Mm-hmm. And we can just say, well, yeah, the husband's to love. Okay, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. How does a husband love his wife? Mm-hmm. Because the text says really clearly, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish and you're like okay so that's all about Christ and not about the husband if that's the case then why does the word say in verse 28 in the same way Husbands should love their wives. Mm. Did he just pause? Is it no. not about the husband? That's one, that's one so, whole phrase. So, so I think if you're not careful, mm-hmm. again, splitting hairs and trying to uh, differentiate certain things, of which I think it's helpful to make sure we stay with what Christ does. He mm-hmm. sanctifies. No, no husband sanctifies. And yet, and yet, if we're, I think, interpreting it correctly and clearly, the husband is a means of grace in that wife's life as a sanctifying factor. Mm-hmm. In what way? Well, one of the roles of the husband is to be the primary teacher in the home. Mm-hmm. That's why 1 Corinthians 14 says, if a wife has questions in the church, who is she supposed to go to? Husband. The husband. Why? Because the husband's supposed to wash her with the word. Mm-hmm. Well, here now we're back again. What does that mean? He's mm-hmm. supposed to teach her. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to walk her through the word and show her and explain and answer her questions and help her better understand that she might be sanctified, not by the husband, but by the scriptures, and thus ultimately purified by Christ and presented blameless. And that's part of the husband's role. That's part of what it means to love her like Christ, mm-hmm. because Christ loves the church and he teaches the church. He sanctifies the church. He washes the church with the water of the word, and so so does the husband. 
as he lives that out and leads her further into the scriptures by life, by example, and by education and exhortation. Mm. And so I think if we're not careful, I think we can we can drill down on this exegetically to where we now dissect it in a way theologically that's maybe unhelpful or even inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And so we got to be careful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where rest of Scripture comes in and says, well, what does it mean to love my wife? Well, it means that I've got a lover like Christ. Well, like Christ loved the church. Well, how does Christ love the church? Well, he gives himself up for the church. He dies for the church. He sacrificially serves the church. He shepherds the church. He teaches the church. Who's the ultimate teacher? It's not me. It's Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I'm called to teach, Mm -hmm. right, as a pastor, right? So it's like we could do the same thing here and say, well, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches, so, you know, pastor, what are you doing? Well, it's like, yeah, but the Bible tells me to teach. The Bible tells me to exhort, and I'm following the footsteps of Christ, and yet Christ is your ultimate teacher. And so it's like, it's it's not one or the other, it's a both and. Mm. And so in this passage, I think, yeah, the washing of the water of the Word is obviously metaphorical, it's speaking of, of language that uses sanctification by way of cleansing, washing, baptism, meaning water, language like sin washing away. Mm-hmm. So that's where it gets a little confusing. But at the end of the day, all this is talking about is what does it mean for a husband to love his wife? Well, he needs to love her on multiple levels. And one of the ways he loves her is by leading her. Mm-hmm. further towards Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's going to involve multiple things. And one is shepherding her through the Word, teaching her the Word, mm-hmm. answering, her, answering her questions from the Word, 1 Corinthians 14, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, so I think if we're not careful, we can, um, we can begin to dissect the role of the husband and make it less than what God has demanded it to be. Mm-hmm. But if we're not careful, we can make it more. And now the husband's job is to sanctify his wife, no, that's not my job. I can't change anyone. Mm-hmm. I can't change my children or my wife. Mm-hmm. And yet that doesn't negate the role that I'm to teach my wife, teach my children. It doesn't negate the role that I'm supposed to lead my wife, lead my children, so that Christ might sanctify them. So in that sense, I think being a husband is a sanctifying calling, mm-hmm. meaning it's a calling to see that my wife is sanctified meaning she grows in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Christ. And what is one of the means of grace that the Lord has given to her? It's a husband who will love her. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to love her? Now we're circled right back. Mm -hmm. It's to lead her in the Word. Mm -hmm. It's to lead her by example. It's to lead her sacrificially, selflessly, and scripturally Mm -hmm. to where I'm showing her, I'm creating an environment in our home that is scripture saturated so that she longs for the word, so that she's growing in the word, she's moving from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. Well, what, what am I doing in those moments? I'm washing her with the word. You could literally say that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of washing my home with the word as I teach my children those things and point them to that and live that out? Yeah, I, I think that's what Christ does. Mm-hmm. That's what it means in the same way, husbands. Love your wife like Christ loved. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Again, you see it goes right back. He's, he's using that 
illustration of Christ and the church as an illustration for the husband and the wife. And I think it is rich, it is deep. And um, so, yeah, I think we got to be clear who sanctifies the wife. It's not my responsibility, praise the Lord. I'm not, I, I will not answer for my wife's walk, mm-hmm. but I will answer for my walk with my wife. Mm-hmm. Massive. And I will answer for my walk with my wife in the word. Mm. Meaning, have I lived the word out before her? And have I brought her to the word? Right? And uh, so, yeah, I think that's what he's saying. And I think if we're not careful, we can, we can, we can make this less than it is. Mm-hmm. Just as we can make it more than it is. Yeah. So, is that yeah. helpful? Extremely helpful. Yeah. I think that uh, one of the, well, not one of, um, yeah, one of the things that I struggle with is this. And it's, I think that it's, part of it is a, and not necessarily an unworthiness, but a, yeah, an unworthiness. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I'm the best person for it, or uh, I'll try things that don't work. Yeah. You know? Yep. And, you know, it's like, well, well, maybe we should do this, and maybe I'm like, this doesn't work. And I'm like, then I'll go and think about it. It's like, man, I haven't done anything to disciple her, anything to disciple the family, you yep. know? And that conviction just, just, I mean, it prods, it prods me. So I think that that was, and this is, this is one of my biggest struggles right now. It's yep. like, I need to be on the ball to do this as much as possible. Yeah. Like I need to be doing that. And, you know, part of it has been a, a challenge because of of time, you know. Um, I think I've talked to you about this before too. Yep. Where it's like, you know, what do I do? It's like, well, and you said it, and I'm repeating it just to show how much I remember. It's like you're like, well, just during dinner, just read or teach during dinner, and I'm like, all right, I can do that. And then we sit down at the table, and I'm hungry, and I got to get up, and I got to go do something for work. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, missed opportunity. And how many missed opportunities have there been this month, this year, this week? Yep. You know. And I'm like, all right, I gotta, I, I gotta get back. I gotta get to a place where I'm doing it, and it may not necessarily be perfect. Nope. But it's I have about to do that. it. And you saying, yeah, you're going to answer for your walk with your wife. It's like, whoo, you can't say amen. You ought to say ouch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Well, and, and again, I, and I'm going to talk more about that. But going back to the washing of water with the word, right? Mm-hmm. Again, verse 27, the purpose for all of that. So that he might present the church to himself again. The language is helpful, but also confusing if you don't get it right. The language of washing it brings out the sanctifying reality, the washing away of the sin. I mean, you can't wash mm-hmm. Beverly's sin away no more than I can wash Amy's sin away. Mm-hmm. That's not our job, mm-hmm. right? And so if that's what we mean, which is what I think a lot of people mean when they say washing my wife with the word, making her holy, by all means, no, that's not your job. Mm-hmm. I can't do that, mm-hmm. right? I, I pray that. I pray she grows in holiness and godliness and righteousness and that's why I pursue these things so that I grow in them and she grows with me. Mm-hmm. But I can't make her grow. I can't change her. That's, that's uh, 
for a back, lack of a better word, that's subjugation. That's domineering. Mm-hmm. That's lording over, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's not leading mm-hmm. in love like Christ. However, that washing with the water of the word, not by means of soap and and uh, a washcloth to wash my wife's sin away, that's Christ's job, mm-hmm. right? Between her confessional heart and his merciful grace, mm-hmm. her sin is washed away, mm-hmm. meaning her relation, not her salvific, but her relation, ongoing, sanctifying relationship so that she's being purified and made holy. But the part of that reality is marriage by which the husband is leading his wife further to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of what that is, that washing with the word, mm-hmm. where I'm bringing the word up, I'm leading the family in the word, I'm living it out, we're reading the scriptures, we're quoting the scriptures, we're singing the scriptures, we're living the scriptures. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And so and it comes in multiple directions. I mean, this is Deuteronomy 6 with the family, as you sit, as you eat, right? This is Ephesians 6, raise your children in the nurture and ad- admonition of the Lord. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, again, this is 1 Corinthians 14, teach your wives, answer their questions, lead them to Christ, know these things. So I think, again, back to that reality, I think we got to be clear on what the washing is and what the washing isn't and what we're setting out to do. I can't sanctify, but I am an agent mm-hmm. of sanctification. Mm-hmm. In, you, said, you said you are going to say something about uh, something else? Yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about what you said about devotions and reading and all of that. And again, I've talked, we've talked about this and I've talked to many people and it's obviously um, a number of things come up here. One, it's never about perfection. And I think we got to eliminate that and it's never cookie cutter and it's never, we've got so many misconceived ideas about this, about living life in the truth together. And so I think we have to purge all that. And it's like, you got to find what works. And what works now won't work later. It changes all the time. Mm -hmm. My children are half out of the house and half in the house. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what worked around the... I mean, it's it's obviously now with two daughters in college, it's hard to have dinner around the table with everybody. Mm -hmm. When it happens, it is. I mean, I stop everything. Mm -hmm. Because it's like massive moment in our home when I'm like, look, everybody's around the table. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. But that is very rare now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, this, this, this isn't going to work anymore. And my focus has to change now to my boys who's, who, who are actually in the home now all the time. And, and so, yeah, so you're gotta, you gotta be flexible and you gotta be practical, but you have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the issue that I think is the struggle. It's like, you got to figure out what works and then you just got to do it. And you got to not overthink it. Mm-hmm. And I've told you this before, and I've told so many guys this. You just, you just got to let your heart out. You got to show them what you're learning. And you can do this systematically. Just, just read through a book of the Bible. Go through a catechism. Read Pilgrim's Progress. There's so many things you can do. Read the hymnal. I mean, it's use it. Do it all. Make it, make it fun. Make it varied. Make it. Um, but at the end of the day, it has to be an overflow of your own heart. Mm-hmm. It, because here's why, and here's the struggle I think you would admit, that if I'm not in the Word, then I can't help others be in the Word. Mm-hmm. If I'm in the Word, guess what? I'm going to want everybody else to be in the Word. Yeah. So that's why it always begins right here mm-hmm. in my own heart. 
So if I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm kind of overflowing from the word, guess what happens? I'm just, it's just going to spill out while I'm sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys know about this? What about this? What does Proverbs 4 say? What does Proverbs 5 say? What is Proverbs 1 talking about? It's just going to come out because that's mm-hmm. what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, yeah. that's it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I probably, yeah, I definitely need to do that. I, I've been in Luke and kind of, parallel with what we have been studying in Mark and just kind of going over that. And I've been trying to, well, let's read another book of the Bible versus just, yep. yeah. Why not just look at Luke and That's it. the parallel? Don't passage. overthink it. it. Makes sense. Yeah. Don't, don't overthink it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you don't need a whole nother thing. Just teach them, just show them just, and, and live it out together. This is mm-hmm. what we do. It's like, it's not, so I don't even like the word devotions though. It's a good word, but the baggage that has come with it. It's just, this is who we are. We mm-hmm. talk about Christ. Mm-hmm. We learn of Christ. We speak of Christ. We love Christ because we're Christ followers. That's it. Mm-hmm. This isn't an addendum to our, this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes it to me easier because I don't need a program. I don't need a book. I just love Christ. So I want to grow in Christ. I want to teach about Christ and I'm not overthinking it. Yeah. And in addition to that, I've been reading uh, this book by, well, listening to because I don't, I don't do much reading in the car. I don't do any reading in the car. <laughs> I, uh, while I'm driving, since I drive a lot, the book that I'm reading is or listening to is "Family Driven Faith" by Vody Bauckham. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those books that, as, as I'm listening, I'm like, man, this is really good. Well, that was really funny wow, that's convicting, you know, and as I'm reading, and, and he is systematically kind of, I definitely recommend it. He is systematically kind of going through and what he started with was the, you know, a man's relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. And then he's talking about, you know, why, and, and he's using scripture to justify every single point, why you need to be taking your family through scripture and everything and uh one of the things that he was saying and he he used the word family devotions we have family devotions and i was like yeah that sounds very big that sounds like a a huge task to do and i'm like yeah I, i don't know if i could do that but i also I can just read to them. Absolutely. I could just read and the ask scripture. questions. I pulled out, I have the Westminster uh, catechism, larger catechism. And I was like, well, we can do all of this. Yep. And Beverly was like, why don't we just read scripture? That's it. And I'm like, best thing to do. I'm telling read you, scripture. read scripture, ask questions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Read scripture, ask, or even better yet, when your children, even at the ages of yours is there's some really good books that, 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 follow scripture and but yet for lack of a better word re or paraphrase it in a in a storytelling fashion find that to be so helpful mm-hmm. with children and uh um which is really good almost like a commentary mm-hmm. and it's so just it's different it's different but it's good mm-hmm. and then you get to ask questions yeah children what does this mean children tell me about that why does it say this? I did doing this with my boys even last night before we go to bed, and, and we were reading um, Proverbs 4 and about guarding your heart mm-hmm. and about guarding your speech and 
Why does he say this? What does it mean when it talks about crooked speech? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And not using crooked speech. And then how does that correlate to what you've heard me talk about from Ephesians 4 and only using speech that builds up? What does that mean? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. That's it. And one thing I uh, one thing I noticed, one of my favorite people in Belcroft, and I'm not scared to say it, my, one of my favorite people in Belcroft is a man named Richard Tillis. There you go. One of my favorite people. And the reason why I love him is because every time I have a conversation with him, he does this thing where we're talking about something and he turns it to scripture. We're talking and he turn, he's, and he'll say, well, that's why this scripture says this. And I'm like, I, that's what I want to do. I just want to bleed scripture. Just, just let it come out of my pores. So just remember this. You'll never bleed scripture until you read scripture. Yeah, yeah. Very much. And so that's just that's just reality. Yeah. And I've been taking I've been kinda looking at that like, you know, me and the girls were talking. Oh Lucy was telling me about a situation where she saw this uh this couple on on, on four fifty and they're just like arm around it and Lucy says, Oh, they're gonna be broken up next week and Beverly starts laughing. And then I said, Great opportunity, use it and I'm like, Do y'all know you know what the issue is with dating like that and we just it just turns into a discussion that's it and as i started talking uh, i was like think about it it's like it's like a marriage it's like a small marriage when you're too young to understand what it all is, is it's all about and something happens and you all break up and she's like and she went right to it she's like oh well that explains why there's so much divorce and i'm like well think about it i was like if god walked through a bull that was sitting, you know, on a table and he walked through and made that a covenant with Abraham that way. Think about how deep that covenant is. You're making a covenant to God. And if it was just God, that'd be enough. But you're also making it in front of your friends, your family, all these people. The state is involved. You have to sign a marriage certificate. And they're like, this is all making sense. And I'm like, this is a covenant that you're making. So it's it's like a practice now. It's like how can I take what we're talking about and, and, and apply scripture? So that's kind of been my, like, I'm like, okay, how can I do this? In addition to reading the scripture for myself and then with them. Yeah. So that's where I am. And more than anything, I just, I'm just trying to do what God is, 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 is commissioned and called me to do. That's it with being a good husband it begins it begins in your heart yeah yeah i I think that um one of the questions that i did want to ask you that is and this is can can be the last one i don't know how long this is going to take um when i ask this question as we switch gears there's a scripture first john 1 9 and it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and of course, as I ask that question, the first question is, if we confess our sins, yeah, to who or to whom? Um, second. So if you go back up to uh, verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness and we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he, 
is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So as you read, that's the whole paragraph or the whole unit of thought right there. As you read that whole unit, you can see really clearly that the whole point of that is is God mm-hmm. and Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not man, mm-hmm. right? And so many times this verse wants to be twisted and say, well, we need to confess our sins to man. But if you go mm-hmm. back to it now and you read it, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, who's the he? Mm-hmm. Is it a priest? Correct. Is it a man? Yeah. Is it my brother? He, no, the he is the same he that he's been following all along, which right. is Jesus the Son, right? which is coming from God the Father, which he brings up in verse 5. And so he is faithful and just to forgive us, our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The person who forgives us is the person we've confessed to, mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. So the he who forgives is the he that's heard the confession. Mm-hmm. So that's the point of the passage. It's not confessing to a priest, mm-hmm. right? Of which, of which, obviously not a priest, but confessing our sins to one another is a command that mm-hmm. we are told to do, and that, that isn't that isn't I'm to confess my sins to you that you know nothing about. That's confessing my sins when you when I've sinned against you. Gotcha. Right? And you've sinned against me. Mm-hmm. It's Matthew 18, mm-hmm. right? That reality of dealing with that. And if I've sinned against you, I need to confess that, mm-hmm. right? But the whole point here is not, is not horizontal, it's vertical, mm. right? And this is, again, what's the purpose of John? The purpose of John is dealing with knowing who the true believer is, mm-hmm. and it's the one who has confessed his sin to his brother. No, mm-hmm. not in this passage. The one who's confessed his sins to Christ, mm-hmm. and Christ will conf- will cleanse, will forgive, because only Christ can forgive and cleanse. Mm-hmm. Right back to that cleansing again, mm-hmm. that washing, mm-hmm. right, which comes through confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all it's it's all one question to me. Sometimes it's like I, I, it's, they all connect. It's 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 like a you know, dots that are just connecting from one word. And it's like, oh, wait, I remember that word here. So yes, that is why that that came up because of the cleanse, you know, part. And it's like, is it the same cleanse or is that a different? And I, I think as far as the word goes, yes. I, yeah, I can't remember. I don't I don't okay. remember the Greek if it's the same or not. But again, it's Christ that washes away the sin. Mm-hmm. Right. It's Christ that sanctifies us. Mm-hmm. That's an that's emphatic. And if that's what we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast, Podcast. Yeah, no husband ever sanctifies his wife mm-hmm. in the truest sense of the word, mm-hmm. right? And yet, each husband, by design, is a means of grace, of which the wife is for the husband as well. It goes both ways. They are a means of grace in each other's life for their sanctification. Mm-hmm. So marriage is, without question, one of the primary means of grace in our sanctification. It's one of the glorious purposes of marriage. That's what Ephesians 5 is saying. Mm-hmm. One of the purposes of marriage is our sanctification, and that is glorious, and that is vital. It is part of how we grow together as we help one another, and so that can go both ways. However, the husband is charged with the leading his wife 
into the word and through mm-hmm. the word and by the word. And uh, the wife isn't obviously charged with that. She's charged with submitting and serving and all of that. And so, so yeah, again, that's where that reality of what Christ does is emphatic. And yet what Christ does cannot be divorced from what we're commanded to do, mm-hmm. right? So it would be like saying, well, if Christ sanctifies me, then I just sit and wait, let go and let God. Mm. And it's just like, so Christ sanctifies my wife, so I play no part. Christ sanctifies your wife, but you play a huge part. Mm-hmm. You're commanded to love her like Christ, mm-hmm. which is commanded to give sacrificially, give selflessly, and give scripturally. Like, lead her. Mm-hmm. That's part of how Christ is going to sanctify her. Mm-hmm. So you play a part, just like we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, mm-hmm. knowing it is God who is at work. So yeah, he sanctifies me, and he's guaranteed to do it, but he's guaranteed the means by which he does it, and that's my submission to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So you could say... So then who sanctifies? You or Christ? The answer is yes. Right? Christ mm-hmm. sanctifies me. I don't make myself holy, and yet I'm commanded to make myself holy. Mm-hmm. Right? You see how that works. Yeah. So again, that's that splitting hairs if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to dif- differentiate this to a level that's unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm always careful with that. It's like, no, let's be clear. Christ and only Christ makes anyone holy, and yet... Christ never makes one holy without the means of grace of which he's given. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, that's... And so we're right back here, like you said, the cleansing of which Christ does, but not devoid from what the husband's supposed to do. Yeah. I don't envy you for your job at all. All these uh, stubborn, hard-headed sheep like me that are struggling every single day with sin and just trying to not conform to the patterns of this world it is yeah it's a lot and as you sit and talk i'm like man like i i I definitely could have said that better i definitely shouldn't have said this you know done this better you know serving her way better you know so yeah part of your part of your job in how you rightfully and again the language of washing with the word is not is is in in our context and in this question is confusing, but how you properly lead her to the word is by being a thermostat and not a thermometer. Mm-hmm. And that's really part of what this is all talking about. Mm-hmm. Christ is the ultimate thermostat in the church, meaning he sets the tone. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how he loved the church. He goes before the church. He's the leader. Leader, despite what President Obama said, you can't lead from behind. That's mm-hmm. an oxymoron, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's an idea that is just ludicrous. And so Christ goes before the church. He's the first fruit. He leads the church. He's, he's, he's our faithful high priest. He goes into the cross first, and we follow behind him, taking up our cross. He blazes the trail. He's the first one, and that's setting the thermostat, meaning he sets the tone, and then now all follow in that. Mm-hmm. He sets the temperature of the room, meaning he sets the direction, he sets the demeanor, all of that. A thermometer is driven by the room. Mm-hmm. The room sets the temperature. Mm-hmm. The thermometer goes up and down based on circumstances, and that's how most husbands try to lead mm-hmm. as thermometers. Whatever my wife does, my kids do, my job does, my feelings do, my health does, my pension does, my job does, whatever. That's how I respond. Passive. If all's good, I'm good. 
Mm-hmm. If all's bad, I'm bad. Right. That's a thermometer. Mm-hmm. That's how most men are. They're thermometers. Mm-hmm. We got way too many thermometers. Mm-hmm. Christ was never a thermometer. Christ was a thermostat. He mm-hmm. set the tone wherever he went. And so when Paul says, love your wife like Christ loved the church, that's part of what he's he's driving there. Mm-hmm. You are to be the leader. You are to be the out front. You're to be the one who's setting the pace for your family, setting the direction. Mm-hmm. If we're to go left, then I go left. If we're to go right, I go right. If we're to go straight, I go straight. Wherever we're to go, my family needs to follow, and that means I need to go. I need to lead, mm-hmm. and that's the point. And so that's what a thermostat does in the room. You set it, and it brings the entire room to that temperature. That's the husband. He is to be that setting point for his entire family, for his children, for his wife. This is what we're to be and do. Follow me. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's how you wash your wife in the Word without losing the divine side of that that says, no, that, yeah, Christ makes you holy, but I point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. That's my job. Mm-hmm. That's what a leader does. Yeah. If if that's not what a leader does, then I totally don't understand the passage, hmm. because that's what we do. We point to Christ. We show Christ. We reflect Christ. Mm-hmm. That's by what we say, by what we do, and how we live. Hmm. Yeah. And thus, we're washing them with the word. Yeah. That's good. Well, uh, I think that we're going to bring it to an end here, and uh, um. Yeah, I don't think anything else to be said needs to be said. Thank you for listening. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good, and just. He must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own Son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day be reconciled to God.
I should probably turn the mics up before we actually uh, end. We have been away for a while, and uh, part of that is just scheduling. Um, you know, we you know, I started a new job. I was out of out of the uh, the country, <laughs> technically, meaning uh, north of the Mason Dixon line uh, up in uh, Delaware, and uh, Pastor Matt has literally been out of the country in a uh, small, small continent called Africa. And uh, why don't you, can you give us like a, you know, we the church, you know, our, our, some of the people in our church, actually, we did get a great overview from uh, from uh, the Phantom, uh, yes. the Phantom Doctor. Yes. Uh, can you give us like a, a, it's a brief overview of your trip and how that went and what you were there for and all of that? Yeah, no, it was, a, it, yeah, so I went to Africa for two weeks, uh, traveled across uh, uh, the, con- the continent, really, on many levels. Uh, we were in Sub-Sahara uh, section in Senegal. It's on the West Coast, right on the Sub-Sahara line, literally. And um, uh, highly, heavily Muslim area, that whole section of Africa is all Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a different demographic, different uh topography on so many levels because you're in sub-sahara so a lot of sand a lot of dry a lot of not a not a lot of uh, foliage or anything you know you're just it's 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 what you think of when you think of africa i think Mm -hmm. from an american context right and uh, heavily muslim mosques all over prayer calls non-stop Mm -hmm. you know we were there during Ramadan, so it was it was fascinating culturally mm-hmm. to be there. I've been there before, so had a little bit of a flavor. Senegal, uh, we were in Dakar, and that's kind of um, got quite a bit of a third world flavor to it at times. Not certain sections are really nice, and certain sections are not. So it just depends on where you are. But um, but yeah, yeah. So we were there visiting some missionaries, which is a blessing to be with them and see what the Lord's doing in and through them and to encourage them, equip them and evaluate them all of what we do when we take these trips. We take, usually we try to go multiple times a year. Sometimes we go twice, sometimes we go once, sometimes we go more. It just depends on the year and who, where we're going and who we're visiting and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got multiple missionaries in Africa. So we thought it'd be wise since we're flying all that way to visit, try to hit two, two of our missionaries and we take, um, our missionaries very serious. We see them as extended staff of our church, so we hold them in high regard. Uh, we hold them as, uh, in many ways, the the premier servants of our ministry, and so we treat them as such. But then we hold them to a high accountability because of such. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so uh, too much is given, much is required, and so we 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 love them, but we also expect of them that they're faithful to what they've should be doing and and representing christ and even us and so we we uh we we travel to make sure that's happening as well as to further encourage them so that that can happen Mm -hmm. and that's a blessing and that's part of what i think a a biblical mission should do Mm -hmm. and we see that in the book of acts without question so uh, we went there to visit them got to speak a little bit there got to witness what's going on in in that part of the continent as well as in that specific ministry and so encouraging um spent about four days there and then we flew across the whole continent to because there's it's a crazy there's no flight 
from Dakar, which is as far west as you can go in Africa. Mm -hmm. So we were literally right on the edge of of the Atlantic because that's where where they're at. And you either have to go all the way north, essentially, basically to France, Hmm. and then catch a plane that goes all the way down to basically the southernmost part of Africa down to South Africa. Hmm. So think about that. You have to fly all the way north to go south, which is ludicrous. So we decided rather than do that, we would go all the way wet, all the way east mm-hmm. to the far, almost the farthest part of the continent, which is right on the edge of Ethiopia. And then we could catch a flight there all the way down. So it was, anytime I travel in Africa, it's always it's always wild yeah long because mm-hmm. the continent is so big massive so big and it takes so long to get anywhere mm-hmm. um so i want to say that that took us i mean that, that was all day so it took us i forget how it was all night flying across from jfk to to senegal and then and then it was all day to go from there to there to there mm-hmm. right and i mean it literally it was it's crazy. It was almost that flight was longer mm-hmm. than it was coming from the states to Africa. Then, wow. yeah, it's. But we did. We so that was we we went down to South Africa and spent um, a little over a week there with our missionaries there, ministering in their church, doing uh, evangelism, outdoor air uh, preaching, and um, and then speaking at a camp and visiting with them, which was so encouraging. Mm-hmm. So good to see their ministry. Totally different. So there's basically minimal Muslims there. Mm-hmm. There it's prosperity gospel. So it's fascinating to see. Topography-wise, we were in the mountains, very much so. Very much mountains, trees, lush, green, beautiful, by way of foliage and all of that, versus the other where there's hardly any water and it's dry and there's no trees there it's uh shall we say mosques and muslims everywhere here there's hardly any of that but there's prosperity preachers everywhere Mm. so it's totally different on multiple levels yet same response same mission same method Mm -hmm. same lord preach the word yeah evangelize with compassion conviction yeah without compromise right and so so yeah so it was good so we were there speaking multiple times there we did a lot more speaking and teaching um, on multiple levels preaching at the church they planted and then obviously out in this amazing camp that they've started for godly they call it gym camp g-y-m stands for godly young men mm-hmm. young men in this camp, there's a senior version and a junior version. This is the senior version. Senior version goes 16 to 30, 31, wow. 32. And what's fascinating is in this culture, sadly, but truthfully, most of the men don't know their fathers, mm-hmm. have never met their fathers, and have no interaction with older men. So the idea of mentoring and learning and passing down uh, habits of holiness and, and uh, shall we say, methods of excellence doesn't happen as it would you know as it should by god's grace deuteronomy 6 is clear right we're to pass on to our children that which we have learned and teach them and raise them up and 
and multi-generation isn't a catchphrase. That's God's design. Mm-hmm. That's why we have children. That's why the home is is paramount to the evangelism of the globe and the encouragement of the church. The home is 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 so vital to that, and, uh, and the church and the home are tethered together in doing multi-generational ministry. That's what Titus 2 shows so clearly, as well as Titus 1. So so this gym camp is really helpful in bringing these young men who who are learning of Christ, some who've, who have saved and followed Christ, and others who haven't, mm-hmm. where they can interact with godly men and be taught what godliness is, biblically as well as practically, meaning scripturally, gospel-driven sermons, explanation, but then even on the practical level. Well, how does a man love his wife like Christ loved the church? Mm -hmm. actually taught that. How does a man uh, treat uh, a sister in Christ when he's godly? Mm -hmm. How does a man handle his money, his finances? Mm -hmm. How does a man take care of his possessions? You know, how does a man use a tool, right? Even down to the practical things, how does, how do you, change the oil in your car mm-hmm. how do you use a drill mm-hmm. you know, some of these guys never used a power tool mm-hmm. and then showing them that and so so it was is it was fascinating it was invigorating it was by god's grace uh encouraging to be able to spend that time teaching these men and seeing them grow and see how excited they were taught them i got to teach them how to ride a motorcycle mm-hmm. you know teach them how to change the oil in the land rover and then take them over to a bunch of old broken down cars and show them how to right there because the, there's no wheels on the car. So teach them how to change brakes on a car. And mm-hmm. so practically that, and then open God's word and say, this is how a man by God's grace, who has been redeemed by Christ, who is now a Christ follower. This is how he loves. Mm-hmm. And this is how he loves his wife. Mm-hmm. This is what it looks like to love his wife. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it's pretty awesome. And then obviously tra- I always do that travel with one of our elders so it's always myself and one of the elders. At this point, that's the way we do it. We are envisioning this needing to grow to where it be multiple elders traveling in multiple places, potentially at times, because we're just getting that busy and having that much ministry, which is you know a blessing. But right now, it's myself and one of the elders, and we always travel together for various reasons. And so we got to minister together, and he did a great job. I'm so proud of him. So yeah, so that's what we did, and. Um, I want to say it took us 36 hours, 38 hours to get home. That's how, yeah, I mean, it was, that was by, you know, car and then plane. And then it's just, it's just, was we were out in the bush, out in the mountains. And then you got to, I forget how many hours just to get to the airport. And then obviously when you're that far down south to fly. Yeah, I think we flew all day at one point, and I looked at the map, and we were just to Senegal, where we were, where we started. Wow. And it was like, well, that's depressing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we've been, like, sitting in this chair for whatever, yeah. eight hours, and that's all the farther we, you know, because mm-hmm. the continent is so, people don't realize how big Africa is, but mm-hmm. basically all of Europe, China, America, like, it all just fits mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's pretty it's pretty amazing south america north america i mean it's all like fits within africa yeah i mean obviously there there were two things that i noticed about all the pictures uh that you that you know we were shown there was no doubt 
what state in the United States you were from. Oh, yeah. Every I don't remember there not being a shirt that has something about West Virginia on it. And here's the here's the funny part. Right now, you don't even know. Right now, you are wearing the West Virginia colors on your on your striped well, shirt. Listen, man. <laughs> oh, you probably do know listen, it. <laughs> you can take the boy out of West Virginia, but you can't take West Virginia out of the boy. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. So many people don't want to acknowledge they're from West Virginia. I'm the opposite. Yeah, I, yeah. I embrace it. One hundred percent. It's who I am. Yeah. No, let me tell you really why that is the case. Why is that? When I travel, I travel light. I bring hardly any clothes. Right. Brother, that's all I had. <laughs> so guess how many sweatshirts I brought? One. Yep. Guess how many other shirts I brought? Probably two or three. Yeah. And that's why you saw me pretty much in the same thing yeah. the whole time because, I mean, I brought a suit because I was preaching one Sunday. and I Yeah, you but know, you had a blue uh, uh, sweatshirt. suit jacket yeah. and, and a yellow tie. Oh, see, yeah. See, yeah. I, I, it, I noticed everything. Listen, it's, it, I've been indoctrinated. <laughs> I drank the Kool-Aid, brother. <laughs> but... Uh, and here's the other thing that I noticed that is not as light, and it just struck me just now. You said that in that culture, that all that most of a lot of those guys didn't know their father. Yes, and yet there are so many misguided Americans that are blaming white people. Yeah, for the black community in the United States of not them not knowing their father. Yeah, it's not a thing of white, black, whomever. It's a thing it's, of the heart and sin. I was gonna say sin. Yeah, it's the but, heart. Yeah, and I'm like that. That ju- it just struck me. I'm like, like just another reason why the whole is. This is obviously a topic for another podcast. We've never talked about. It. We've never talked about, but yeah, it just struck me that point. I was like, man, because sin is, is universal. It you is can universal. go to another continent that's of another ethnicity, and you have the same problem because it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same core problem. Those folks Heart. have never been to America. Nope. And from what you were saying, some of them don't want to come to America. Was that there that you were Pretty saying? Pretty much that? all of them said they're thankful to not be Americans because they all recognize our country in America is a disaster. Yeah. And they're rightfully seeing it. It is. Mm-hmm. And it's confusing to them on many levels, but not confusing to us. Yeah. We are saddened by the sick state of our country but we're not surprised because that's what happens to whom much is given much is required and the lord has blessed this nation beyond all on many levels and we have squandered it in selfish paganism Hmm. and now we are a pagan nation undoubtedly and uh, unless we repent nothing will change it'll just get worse which second timothy 3 says that's what will happen so Yeah, so nothing changes for us as believers. We don't we don't get scared or fearful or overwhelmed by that. We just are saddened by it because we love humanity. We love the glory of God. We love the image of God, and we we want to see people worship God. And when we see man worshiping himself, all the more in this deification of man through thinking that man can design his own gender and all the like. That is the epitome of the worship of self. Mm. And when we see that, we know we're at the dredges of the bottom of the barrel of Romans chapter one, Mm -hmm. which is the judgment of God has been unleashed on us. And that's what this is. We're watching it happen now. We're watching God's judgment have his effect as he has released man over. That's where that comes from. And that is very sad. 
mm-hmm. because it shows how hopeless and helpless we are. And yet hope remains because life remains and the gospel continues to change lives. And that's why we don't change what we do. We don't deviate from what we do. We get more passionate about what we do mm-hmm. and more excited on, on in a positive way that we get to do this because it's the only change agent. It's yeah. the only hope mm-hmm. for those hellbound sinners who are just like we were. We were no different, none whatsoever. And the Lord changed us when the gospel came to our hearts. And so he will everyone else mm-hmm. as the gospel comes to their heart by sovereign grace. He will save those and we will rejoice. And so as the planet falls apart and the country compromises, we stay the course. Mm-hmm. We don't change. Just like, I love it, just like Noah. He just keeps building art. 120 years. He just keeps building art. He didn't, didn't change anything. Yeah. He didn't get excited. He, didn't, he preached, mm-hmm. preacher of righteousness, and he preached with passion, but he didn't, you know, he didn't stop to save the whales. He didn't stop to you know, change the policies. He, he just kept doing what he's doing, and obviously we do the same. Mm-hmm. And we're thankful for having you know, individuals all over the world doing different things in the sense of bringing about um, the gospel in different regions and different places and jobs and all these things as ambassadors of Christ. Praise the Lord. But we don't change. Yeah. And that's a blessing. So yeah. we're not discouraged. We're not defeated, but we are saddened. Mm-hmm. And my trip to Africa actually heightened that. So what do you mean? I've never, I've never, I've, I've been to most continents, almost all of them, and Africa is always the one that is that one, and and a few others that are, you know, quite shocking because you're face to face with poverty, especially certain certain places, like you've never seen before. I mean, I've seen poverty that I just can't even describe Mm -hmm. and it always grabs you it always shocks you and it always humbles you Mm -hmm. as it should and it always makes you thankful and grateful that obviously because of God's grace and God's grace alone you're not there Mm -hmm. and yet I can tell you I came back this time I've traveled for 20 years continent to continent and I can tell you I've never had what happened to me this time. I came back this time with a clear, visible, objective understanding of how bad our country is. Hmm. Not in a, I'm not speaking of in a judgmental sense. I can do that, and I think I have some right to do that. But I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying it, no, it's really bad. And I think most Americans don't understand that because they've never gone outside the country. Mm-hmm. Like our airports are really bad. Mm-hmm. Even traveling abroad, you realize, oh, we got some pitiful airports. Our transportation says it's really bad. Like you start to realize mm-hmm. how kind of lulled to sleep we have been because we've been indoctrinated to think that we're the cat's meow. And you start to realize, yeah, we're really not. Mm-hmm. Like this country isn't as great as it thinks it is. We are, we are really. It could be. And I think at times it was on many levels, but it's no longer that. And you realize that the more you travel, you start to realize we're pretty foolish. Like the things we worry about, the things we're focused on and all this green, this and green. You're just like, this is, I mean, to be frank, it's quite stupid. Mm -hmm. And that's what people are telling me Mm -hmm. as I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. And it's quite, it's just eye-opening when you start to realize it. Because in America, I mean, most people... You know, they don't, 
they don't see it because they they can't see it. Mm-hmm. But you get out and you start to go, yeah, this is this is bad. We're bad. Yeah, like it. We're morally bad. Yeah, that's a no brainer. But even economically, even even uh, shall I say intellectual, like the things we're thinking about doing and like making a big deal, wind farm and all this is just like this is so like. My children know this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Like, what in the world we are doing? And I think it's the blindness. I really do. I think mm-hmm. it's the part of that judgment. Man is so blinded, he's deceived into his own stupid thoughts. Like, it, it, we, this is just foolish. Mm-hmm. But it, it just was an eye-opener to me, big mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. This is part of where we are as a nation, and I think it's obviously purposeful. Yeah, yeah. All, all of man's problems are almost always almost always self-induced and what we are living through in our nation is without question that yeah yep Hmm. without question i think that one of the big things that kind of popped in my head when you talk you you took us here i just want you to know that um one of the big things that popped in my head about what you just said was there is this kind of ray of light that comes through and i'm not talking about scripture i'm talking about the rejection of a lot of the agendas that come out they're like why are people thinking this way that's stupid so why can't what makes you think that a man can be a woman like that in some ways it's kind of like a ray of light it's like oh well somebody sees it that's non-christian they they understand that that's not that's not natural mm-hmm. what do you say to that like is that like is should that be considered like good should that be considered something that is like like okay th- th- there's hope you know is should that be considered hope or yeah I, no i would definitely not say that's hope because mm-hmm. obviously um you know, a, a moral decision or an intelligent decision doesn't mean it's an eternal decision, mm-hmm. right? Just because somebody's morally good or or makes a moral in, intellectual decision, that's helpful. I'd say it's helpful. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. There's no hope, meaning biblical hope, meaning future restoration. That's only found in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the sad reality is, we have a lot of moral, intellectual people go to hell. Mm. Right, that's the reality, and mm. so in some ways, maybe the greatest hope is for us to fail on the global scale, so that nationally, or or shall we say, humanistically, people are awakened to the hopelessness in which we found ourselves, to which the government, or inventions, or our own intellect, or our own superiority as a nation, or even as a people group, or whatever can't save us like it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's not going to happen there's only one who can save us and we better humble ourselves and admit it and beg him for mercy and then follow his ways or else we're, we're done mm-hmm. and you know obviously that's the hope and if it takes the dredges of romans one to bring us to that point there's hope mm-hmm. you know people recognizing that a man's a man I mean, that's just common sense. Mm-hmm. That's not hope to me. Mm-hmm. That actually saddens me that more people don't see that, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the fact that the whole nation hasn't embraced that yet, yeah, I mean, it's not hope. It's just like, praise the Lord. That's grace. Mm-hmm. I would call that grace. Mm-hmm. It's only grace that holds man back. It's only grace that keeps man back. And so, uh, yeah, it's not hope to me. 
it's grace, and that's just God's kindness because the fact that all of mankind hasn't embraced that agenda or those ideologies of CRT or or transgenderism or whatever, that's just God's grace. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. But it's coming. We know that. Yeah. We know that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and that's sad because it doesn't need to be that way, but it will be because of the heart of man. But yet there's an elect, there's a chosen, there's a people, and that's why we're here, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the word, yeah. knowing God will save, and he will. He's promised to do it, and that gives us hope. That's the hope. Yeah. And we know that the change will come, and that we know that Christ will win, and he will restore, and all these things. So, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, it's there's just a heightened sensitivity for me for various reasons, and this trip abroad, without even thinking about that, it 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 affected me Mm. in ways I was not prepared for that Mm -hmm. in a good way. Mm -hmm. In some ways, I say maybe it matured me Mm -hmm. in my thinking. Probably had more rose-colored perspectives than even I realized, Mm. as I'm sure I still do. And I feel like I walked away with a, the right word would be a sober, I came home. So this'll be, this'll be, this'll be picturesque. This is the first time I came home and I didn't have that thought, man, I'm thankful I'm back in the United States. Mm. I came home and I said, I'm sad for the state of the United States. Mm. That was, and that's the first time that's ever happened. Mm. And I think it was more of a maturing sobering i pray not not judgmental i love you know my country in the right sense i I don't live for it i'm not here to save it i'm a citizen of another land but yet i'm thankful Mm -hmm. for the blessings of being here and yet i'm seeing more and more how dark this place is Mm. like you know i spent a week and a half in a prosperity laden village that is poor, has nothing, bandits, and yet prosperity preachers filling the mountainside, taking what little bit of money these people have and know that by and large that came from this nation. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, how sad. Mm. How sad. So, you know, it's just a lot of things like that where you just go, wow, we're not what we think. Mm. Yeah. This is humbling. Humbling. Yeah. yeah. Uh well, I'm uh I'm glad that you had that experience cuz you know, I think that you know, as our shepherd under shepherd slave to us that that really reflects. I mean, it's really reflected in your preaching the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, just given I can't speak for everybody. I'll speak for myself. It's given me a perspective, a sobering perspective as well. You know, um, and what you just said, you know, we all feel something like that. I would imagine as we are looking, you know, through the lens of scripture at the world, we're understanding it more and more because we're like you said, we're literally seeing Romans one mm-hmm. just being played out. And it's and it's sad. And and yet, you know what I find encouraging? This is not my home. Yeah. And and I'm thankful for this. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not at all discouraged. Mm-hmm. I'm not at all defeated. I'm not at all worried. I think, again, I think it's a, just a sobering reality that my time is short. Yeah. This this land and this place in which I live is short. Mm-hmm. And it's 
fading quickly. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose a lot of the blessings that we've enjoyed. And that will not be fun or easy. And yet at the end of the day, it's all fading. Yeah. We're, you know, we've got a mission to do. We're going to do it. And my time is going to be over and I'm going to be in heaven and praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I just want to pass on to the next generation who's going to be behind me yeah. carrying it on and, and nothing will change for them. Mm-hmm. It'll get harder, uh, likely, but mission stays. So yeah, it's, it's not at all and nothing changes other than I feel like clarity and sobriety, which is all the, to me, a step of maturity. Yeah. And one thing that you've done, which I really appreciate is instead of it being a focus on the troubles of the world, yeah. it's been a focus on Christ and, yeah. and even, even him being the example, like we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, yep. excuse me, him being the example and showing us the way it, and in the midst of literally the hardest day of his life, yeah. early in the morning, no sleep has been praying, you know, uh, uh, the, the the disciples that weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, a mob of people, and yet he was still able to stand flat-footed and say, I am, yep. you know, and, and you're going to see me, you know, you know, at the right hand of power. And it's like, ah, oh, like, what are we doing? Yep. <laughs> you know, who are we with all these small problems? You know, we're not literally about to take on the sins of the entire world. No. You know, so yeah, that's that's it's been very helpful. I appreciate it. So praise the Lord. I uh, don't want to say the word hope. I trust that you all have uh, heard something, and this will be a a good uh, podcast for you all. I really appreciate you all uh, tuning in to the podcast, and we hope that everybody it takes care, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.